Amen. Getting your praise on this morning. That's good. Yeah, you keep it up. And let's just keep going, huh? John chapter 10, beginning at verse 11 this morning. John chapter 10, beginning at verse 11. We are now in week five of an eight-week worship series looking at the great I Am statements of Jesus from the Gospel of John. And this morning we are looking at his statement or his declaration that he is the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. We do not live primarily in an agrarian society like they did in Bible times, but the people of the Bible would be very familiar with shepherds and sheep. Every town would have had shepherds and sheep. We know that some of the great characters uh, and heroes of the Bible were shepherds. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were all shepherds. Moses was a shepherd, but probably the most famous shepherd in Israel was David the shepherd. But yet there is one who's even greater than David, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this morning we're going to look at the quality of our shepherd, Jesus Christ. And we're going to see three primary things about Jesus in this passage of Scripture. One, he's a good shepherd because he lays down his life for his sheep. Second, he's a good shepherd because he loves his sheep. And third, he's a good shepherd because he unites his sheep to himself and then to one another. That's what we find here in John chapter 10, beginning at verse 11. Notice Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Now, the Bible is a spiritual book, but it's also a book that's based in historical context. And let's not forget what's been building here throughout the Gospel of John and Jesus' ministry. There's been this increasing rejection and antagonism towards Jesus as he continues to unfold and unveil for, for those around him who he is, the great I am statements. And let's not forget that when Jesus is adding a metaphor to these I am's that he's also saying, I am. In other words, I am the self-existent, self-reliant, self-defined God of the universe, the one who always was, always is, and always will be. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I am before all things, and I will be after all things. There is no one like Jesus Christ. And today... He is saying to us, I am the good shepherd. Literally, I am the shepherd, the good one, the good one. He is distinguishing himself from every other shepherd. There's a couple different words in the Bible for good. There is a word that speaks about moral goodness, and Jesus certainly is morally good. In fact, there's no one who's ever been more morally good than Jesus. He is perfect. He is sinless. There is no sin in him, not even one. But this word that Jesus uses to describe himself means one who is excellent, one who is magnificent, the premier, one who is lovely, one who is beautiful, one who is winsome. We sang about our beautiful Savior. That goes right along with what Jesus is saying. I am the shepherd, the good one, the one who is above all other shepherds. And then he says this, 
The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We'll come back to that in just a few moments, but I want us to continue down through verse 12 and 13 because Jesus then begins to talk about the hired hand, the one who is sort of there for the sheep but really doesn't have a heart for the sheep doesn't really care about the sheep, may look at it as just a job or just something to, to get money from, but, but they really have no relationship, if you will, for the sheep. And there have been many false shepherds down through history. There have been many hired hands, if you will, who are doing a job of taking care of sheep but really have no heart for the sheep. And Jesus, I think, specifically here was directing this against the leaders of Israel, who, again, instead of pointing them to Jesus, the Son of God, they were actually trying to destroy him and take people away from God. And notice how he describes the hired hand, verse 12. He's not the shepherd. He does not own the sheep. He's not taking responsibility for the sheep. And when he sees the wolf coming, and the wolf is really anything that's threatening the sheep, he abandons the sheep and runs away. He deserts or leaves the sheep when they need him the most. Now let's remember, Jesus, the good shepherd, is just the opposite. First of all, Jesus will never run away from us. He especially never runs away or abandons or leaves us when things get rough, but he never leaves us nor forsakes us. We can always count on our shepherd, which is one of the reasons why he's so good. You and I, even in our human relationships, there are very few people that we have in our life throughout our lifetime that we can count on and know we can count on at all times through everything. Very few. And yet Jesus, the great I am of the universe, says, you can always count on me. I will never abandon you. I will never leave you. I will never desert you. I will never run away from you. He says, so the wolf attacks the sheep and scatters them. Why? Because he's a hired hand and he's not concerned about the sheep. Therefore, he runs away. By the way, the word concern means or not to be concerned means to take no interest in the sheep. Jesus takes great interest in each of us. It means to care about or in this case, not to care about. Jesus deeply cares about every one of us as his sheep. It means to pay attention to the sheep. And again, there's not a moment in our life that Jesus is not riveted to us. He constantly pays attention to his sheep. We may not think he does at times. We may think his eyes are off of us and he's distracted. But though we get distracted from him, Jesus is never distracted from us. And the other part of this word concern means to give thought to. The hired hand gives no thought to the sheep. Doesn't think about them, not on their mind. Jesus has us always on his mind. He's always giving 
thought to us. In fact, he's usually 10 steps ahead, and that's even not enough, right? Because Jesus has said to every last one of us who are still alive, who know him as our personal Savior, that he's already up there preparing a place for us for all of eternity. I go to prepare a place here. He's even giving thought to our eternal residence with him. That's how much thought he gives to you and I. He's distinguishing himself here. And there's no one who we will ever find beyond Jesus who cares about us, who takes as much interest in us, who pays as much attention to us, and who gives as much thought to us as Jesus Christ does. He is the good shepherd. But now I want you to go back up to verse 11. Why is Jesus the most excellent, magnificent, premier, loving, beautiful, winsome shepherd that we could ever have because he lays down his life for the sheep. And folks, yes, we cannot miss the fact that in that, there is certainly the cross. He laid down his life. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, 2 Corinthians 5.21. No doubt about that. But it's beyond that. Jesus is saying, I didn't just lay down my life for you once on the cross. I lay down my life for you every single day. Now, very interesting. Jesus here does not use the normal two words for life. I lay down my life. One word is the word bios, where we get our word biology. The other word is zoe, where we get our word zoology, the study of life. But Jesus here doesn't use that word or those two words. He uses the word suke, which is the word for soul, S-O-U-L. Jesus is saying, I lay down my very soul for you all as my sheep every day. And what he means by that is that, again, it goes beyond just the physical. Like, for instance, when we think about even the horrors of Jesus dying on the cross, most of the time we're concentrating and focused on the, the physical rigor and, and the physical torment and the physical suffering and pain that Jesus went through. But Jesus saying, do you realize I gave everything that I am? not just my physical body, I gave my very soul. My soul was given for you. My, my very being was given and continues to be given for you, which is why he would say things like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, I was thinking of this even as Dave was praying this morning that we just even as Christians have a limit to how much we can grasp and understand of even the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Because we can't not totally understand how much of his soul he gave up by being coming sin for us and being separated for a time from the perfect fellowship that he and the Father had since they've always been. We can't understand that. We can understand the soul anguish of Jesus Christ. We, we can begin 
to maybe understand a little bit of the physical suffering and pain that Jesus went through in, in the crucifixion, but we can't even begin to understand how his soul suffered in those moments, how the one who was perfect and holy and sinless could take on sin and be the curse of God for us so that none of us would ever have to face the judgment of God. We don't even begin to understand that, but what Jesus is saying here, I lay down my soul for my sheep every day. I am all in with you all. There is nothing I withhold from you. Nothing. I'll give you everything I've got. And my goodness, when we begin even a little bit to comprehend and understand how much Jesus is in for us, it should stir within us a heart of worship. I mean, you, you want to be motivated and inspired to be a worshiper of God? Start understanding the fact that our Lord said, I laid down my very soul for you. He used this again in Matthew when he said, the Son of Man came to give his life a ransom for many. Same word there, not bios, not zoe, but suke. I came to give my soul a ransom for me. I'm all in with my sheep. Unlike those that really don't care, pay no thought, give no attention, Take no interest in, I'm right there with you each and every day. I lay down my very soul for my sheep. But then notice this, verse 14. I am the good shepherd, the good one, the excellent one, the premier one, the magnificent one, the lovely one, the beautiful one, the winsome one. And I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. The first reason why Jesus is the good shepherd above all other shepherds is because he lays down his life. The second, because he loves his sheep. Now, you're looking at me going... <clears throat> We just read verse 14, and the word love is not in there at all. And we're looking at verse 15, and the word love is not in there at all. Now, the word no is in there four times. Pastor, help us. <laughs> well, I hope to. I, I, I want us to understand something about the word that Jesus uses here for no. It's a word that has the idea of a loving relationship, okay? In fact, you sort of get a hint of that whenever it says in verse 15, just as the Father knows me, and then if you go up to verse 17, this is why the Father loves me. There's a connection between the word know and the word love, especially the word know that Jesus uses here. He is describing an intimate, sweet loving fellowship. It's more than information. It's about passion and affection and devotion. That's what it means to know. And that kind of knowledge, if you will, is the knowledge of love. See, love has to go beyond information. There has to be 
information and understanding and knowledge coupled with passion and affection and commitment and devotion. They both got to exist. That's why as Christians, we have to be careful, especially those of us that love the word, to make sure that as we navigate and journey through life, we're not just accumulating more information about God that we know about God informationally and intellectually and analytically up here in our head, but our heart is not beating any harder or faster for God. Even though our mind is being filled with information and facts, our heart towards God is not growing at all. See, it's got to be both. It's got to be both in our relationships with each other on earth. If you truly love somebody, then you grow not only to know them, but to become more passionate and devoted and committed and all of that. It's both, which is why here at the Oasis, our commitment is to make the ministry of the word and the ministry of worship complement each other so that as we are filling our minds with more knowledge of God, and that is certainly important and essential and necessary, that along with our heads becoming more aligned with God, our hearts become more aligned with God, and and our hearts are more in love with God. You see, that's what it means to know God. In fact, keep your finger there in John chapter 10 and go over to with me to another letter that this same John wrote in the New Testament, the book of 1 John. Let me show you how he links these two together in 1 John chapter 4. And I'm just going to read a couple verses, even though this whole passage, really, verse 7 down through verse, the end of the chapter 21, is all about love. Notice what John says in verse 7 and 8 of 1 John 4. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Dear friends, let us love one another, because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been fathered by God and what? Knows God. Knows God. Then notice verse 8. The person who does not love does not what? Know God. See how love and knowledge are linked together? The more I know of God in my head, the more my heart should be beating for God and for others as well. There's got to be a link between information and passion, if you will. And again, we have to be very careful as Christians to not just be filling our heads with information, which is why in many churches and Bible studies and Christian ministries and even in individual Christian lives, they continue to accumulate knowledge and information about the Bible and about God, but their heart is no more in love with God than it was a month ago, a year ago, 10 years ago. They've got information but no passion. See, the word should drive us to more worship and more worship should drive us back to the word and they should complement each other. 
if your Bible study or your time in God's Word is not making you a more enthusiastic, energetic, and devoted worshiper, then there's something missing. And if your worship is not creating in you a thirst and desire for more of His Word, then there's something missing. Knowledge and love have to go together. Back to John chapter 10. I know my own, and my own, verse 14, know me. <laughs> they have a first-hand acquaintance with me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. There's a closeness. There's an intimacy. There's a sweet, loving fellowship. There's a passion and affection for one another. And this is a good time then to bring up this verse because it's a sobering verse where Jesus is recorded to say in the Gospel of Matthew, in fact, at the end of the, what's called the Sermon on the Mount, he says, there will be many who say to me in that day, meaning the day when all will stand before him, Lord, Lord. And you know what Jesus says? He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. Even though they've done many wonderful works and even cast out demons, Jesus says, and why? Because Jesus says, I never, what? Knew them. Now, Jesus isn't talking about the fact that he doesn't love them or he doesn't have any information about them. He knows everything about us. He's saying, but there was never a true relationship there. there. There was never a closeness. There was never an intimacy there. They may have known of me, but they didn't know me, and I didn't know them because they never allowed me to come in and literally have that close, intimate, sweet, loving relationship and fellowship with them. I never knew them in that way. Whew. I just wonder how many people who confess Christ, people who attend church, are in that category. They will get to that time in their life where they will go, Lord, I, I expect to be in heaven for all of eternity, right? I never knew you. I never knew you. And can I tell you, that's something that keeps me up every once in a while as a pastor, is how many people have sat under my ministry or I have pastored or they've been, you know, part of the sheep of my flock. And they may have thought them and God were good. I know you, Lord. I, I got a lot of facts about you up here, and I know your Bible, and I can quote verses, and I could even maybe teach a class and sort of, you know, get away with it. I, I've got that up here, but I never had an intimate, loving, sweet fellowship with you, God, where I walked with you like a friend walks with a friend every day. We didn't have that kind of relationship because let me apply something right here. We as Christians can just have a head knowledge about God without 
a heart for God. We, we can have all that up here, but when it comes to, to years like the year we just came out of and the year we're going into, if you don't have that intimate, sweet, loving fellowship and relationship with Jesus Christ, you're lost in more ways than one. Because all that information won't cut it when it comes to going through the things like we're going through right now. It won't cut it when you have a huge trial and come into your life if you and Jesus Christ aren't close. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. Now let's go a step further, though. This is what makes him beyond the good that we can even comprehend. Let's go back to that concept in verse 14 and 15 that Jesus is saying there. And saying, I love you, and I know you, and I'm laying down my life for you each and every day. End of verse 15. Now watch this. Here's the crazy thing. You and I begin to think about that. Wait a minute. I have people in my life that love me, okay? but there's things about me that they don't know. And let's face it. For most of us as human beings, the more you get to know somebody, the less you could maybe admire, respect, like them, love them, because it's like you begin to see everything about them the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so they're not as, you know, lovable, maybe, right? Right? Now let's take that a step further. Nobody in the universe knows us as deeply and intimately as Jesus Christ. In fact, he knows things about each of us that we don't even know about ourselves, much less anybody else. And yet, in spite of the fact that he knows everything, I mean all the things about us that no one else knows, and we would even be ooh, a little uncomfortable if even the people who we know loved us right now knew the depths of the things that Jesus knows about us, and yet our good shepherd says that in spite of the fact that I know every detail about you, I love you. I love you. Now, I'm telling you, you'll never find a love like that a love that Jesus Christ has for you that even though he knows everything about us, he says, I still love you. That's love. Because that's a love of choice. It's not a love based on the fact that we're so lovable and that we're so great. No, it's that even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us because he loved us. And you and I will never find a love like that. But what stability to know that no matter what I've ever done, what I'm doing, what I will ever do, I will never fall out of the love of Jesus Christ. Nothing can separate us from the love of God 
in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Read Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. Let it sink in. So no wonder Jesus saying, I'm a shepherd like no other. Because let's face it, shepherds did know their sheep. We talked about that last week when we talked about him as the door. They had names for their sheep. They could identify the sheep. They knew every detail about their sheep. That's how they differentiated their sheep and distinguished their sheep from one another. And let's say something else. You want to talk about someone who lays down their life and who loves the sheep? Shepherds. Being a shepherd was an arduous task. These shepherds never had it comfortable at all. They literally lived out there with their sheep. They were either right there with their sheep outside of the pen or the fold that we talked about last week, but they lived in the elements with the sheep. They were there day and night with their sheep. They never left them in the cold, in the snow, in the heat, and all of that. They were there. There was always a vigilance with the shepherd, the good shepherd, and there was always constant attention. They never just let their sheep go. And the same thing is true of our shepherd. He has a relentless vigilance and constant attention towards his sheep, and he's always laying down his life, and he's always loving us no matter what. And you and I will never find anyone ever who will lay down their life and love us like Jesus, our good shepherd, does. And again, when we begin to understand how good he really is, it should just get us to go, Jesus, I, I need to live for you and love you more than I ever have. I need to worship you more. I need to be willing to serve you, God, because you have been so good and you are good and you will be good to me throughout eternity, God. Notice verse 16. Not only is Jesus the good shepherd because he lays down his life for his sheep and because he loves his sheep, he's the good shepherd because he unites his sheep to himself and to one another. I have other sheep that do not come from this sheepfold. Jesus is talking to Jewish people. He's saying, I have other sheep, meaning Gentiles, those outside of Israel, and I must bring them in too, and they will listen to my voice so that there will be notice, the verse 16, one flock and one shepherd. Most of the time when you see the two words in the New Testament, especially, so that, that's a purpose statement. That's God saying, and here's the purpose for it. And the purpose for him being the good shepherd, the one who lays down his life and who loves his sheep unconditionally, is so that there could be one flock and one shepherd. That's why the New Testament goes into the idea that in, in the flock of God, there's neither Jew or Gentile, male or female, rich or poor, all, all those things that distinguish us and separate us on earth are not the things that's going to separate us with God or in heaven for all of eternity. No, one flock. One true flock of sheep, you see but one shepherd. So Jesus first says, I want to unite all of my sheep to me. I, I want to draw them to myself. 
but don't miss then the picture that Jesus is giving us. As I, the shepherd, draw sheep to myself, that automatically means that my sheep are drawn to who? To each other. You and I can't be getting close to the shepherd and staying at a distance from our fellow sheep. It's impossible. It can't, it can't work that way. No matter how you and I try to explain it, rationalize it, and all of that, it can't be done. If I'm drawing closer to the shepherd, then I'm also drawing closer to the sheep. Now, not that you and I are going to have the same type of relationship with all of the sheep, but there's going to be some of his sheep in our life that we can, as the Bible says, bear one another's burdens for encourage one another, love one another, pray for one another, which, by the way, it would be very appropriate for me to stop here and thank you for your prayers for me on Thursday. If you were here Wednesday night, I was sharing with the folks here Wednesday night that I had a very difficult funeral memorial service to do the following day on Thursday this past week, and I've got another one coming up in a couple weeks from some folks in our community and I would appreciate their prayers. Well, my goodness, Wednesday night, there was just like a group of people just came up and started praying for me here. And I had so many people just texting me or just letting me know, hey, we're praying for you Thursday morning at 10 o'clock. It was over here at Gilbert Memorial Park. And I, I just want to tell you, thank you. I, I would be remiss if I didn't stand up because I wanted you to know your prayers made a difference. I felt your presence with me. I felt your prayers upholding me. And God showed up in a huge way at that memorial service Thursday morning. So thank you. Pray for one another. But again, how can we do that if we're not doing life and ministry together in, in some way? How are you going to know what's on my heart and what I'm dealing with? And how can I know what's on your heart and what you're dealing with if we're not together in some way? How can I be rejoicing with those who are rejoicing and weeping with those who are weeping amongst God's sheep if I'm not with God's sheep? God says, I call you to myself as I call you to one another. And that's the great thing is because we realize that because we've got the good shepherd, the one who will never leave us, abandon us, forsake us, desert us, or however you want to look at it, that we've always got our good shepherd looking out for us and protecting us and providing for us. But we also know because now of our good shepherd and his sacrifice and subsequent resurrection from the dead, that now he has brought us into fellowship with other of his sheep, and we also have others who we can do life and ministry and encourage each other and support each other through life as well. That's how good he is. He's so good, he says, I'm enough for you, but I'm so good I'm even going to throw in some extra. Here, here's some of your fellow sheep that, you guys can do life and ministry with and be a support and encouragement too as well. And let's face it, that's one of the joys, the true joys of living life. At the end of it all, isn't it going to be about relationships and who we did life and ministry with and who we navigated and journeyed through life with? I mean, at the end of it all, you look at Paul when he talked about going to heaven, besides obviously seeing Jesus face to face, it was all about 
You're my joy and crown, and, and we're going to be doing ministry together up there just like we did down here, he would say to the Philippians or to the Thessalonians. That's what it's all about. And all of that is only possible because our good shepherd was willing to lay down his life for the sheep. If there's one thing I hope all of us take away from today, being in God's house through the worship we've already had and through our time in the Word, I, I hope it's this. I hope it's an awakening of how much God loves you and me. And that that awakening of how much God loves me will begin to stir in each of us a greater heart of worship for him. How can we hold back anything from our Lord Jesus when he literally every day lays down his soul for us, holds nothing back from us. We are the objects of his constant attention. He takes interest in us like no other. He gives thought to us like no other. We are never out of his mind. In fact, he tells the people of the Old Testament who are his, I've engraved you upon the palms of my hand. I'll never forget you. How could I? You're the apple of my eye. I can't look without seeing you. That's, that's our good shepherd. And yet when you think about the fact that this isn't just anybody, this is the great I am. This is the one who created everything that we know. Who, anything that was created was created by him and for him. He is before all things and will be there after all things. There, there's no one greater in the universe than him, and yet he has this kind of love for each of us. Oh, that we would begin to have a greater love and passion and affection for him because he has the greatest passion and affection for us. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to do some worshiping. I'm ready for us as the people of God to say back to our Jesus, Jesus, thank you for your love for me. I love you too. So let's pray. God, we thank you today that you have declared yourself as the good shepherd. And Lord, we have been reminded, we've not really touched on anything, God, that probably most of us here doesn't already know. But God, when we begin to ponder it and consider it and think about it a little bit, it can truly be life-transforming. When we think about the fact that you give your very soul for us each and every day, that you love us, and that you love us even though you have a greater knowledge of us than anybody ever will, 
and you will never stop loving us, God. How can we not love you back? When we know that you, you have this great plan and purpose for us that lasts throughout eternity, and that, Lord, part of that plan is that we're going to be with you forever. And we're going to be with your other sheep from that one flock forever. God, then we better not only start loving you more, we better start loving each other more too. So God, I just pray that this was not a Sunday through our time of worship and through our time in the Word where we just gain more information, but where we coupled the more information with more passion and affection for you as well because you have that heart for us. Help us, God, for the rest of our time here on this earth to not only be filling our heads with knowledge of you, but filling our hearts with love for you, God. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.